Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. And as you're being seated, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're reminded this morning uh, that Advent uh, comes to uh, human existence uh, like a knife uh, through fabric uh, and disrupts uh, where we are going and what we've been about. And Lord, we ask, Father, that that same impact would be felt this morning, uh, that we would not be able to leave here this morning uh, without feeling the weight of, of your coming, of the sending of your son Jesus uh, to uh, die for our sins, uh, to rescue us. Lord, we ask that you would do this by your Holy Spirit, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, Christ City Kitsilano. It's good to be with you. Sorry, you guys are responsive. I'm used to South Vancouver. They're like, eh. uh, but you guys are responsive, so good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, very responsive. Uh, a little thrown off now. Um, no, it's going to be with you. If you don't know me and you're like, he has a beard, so that's not Brant, and he has hair, so it's not Fred. Uh, my name's Jake. I'm part of the team uh, in South Vancouver, and it's good to, to serve with you this morning. It really is uh, exciting to be here. I know I know many of you uh, from my time here uh, just a little while ago, and so it's good to be with you and open God's Word this morning. I, I want to ask uh, a question this morning in opening, and the question is really, really simple, uh, but really, really intimidating, I think. Who are you? Who are you? And I think the answer to this question obviously uh, depends on the context it's being asked in, right? If you're trying to sneak into a wedding, uh, the question, uh, who are you, uh, should cause you to flee, right? I'm not supposed to be here. That's who I am. Uh, if, if you're at a work function and you're meeting a prospective client, right, you're going to answer this question with, you know, here's my, here's my job title. Uh, here's what I do. Maybe here's why you should buy this product of mine, right? Who are you? If you're heading to your fiancé's uh, family for the first time at Christmas, like, who are you? <laughs> Whoever you say I am, Uncle Norb, right? Like, like whatever you want, right? You want to be quick to identify yourself in, in, in your partner, in your, in your fiancé. Who are you? This morning, having just sung about God and big and weighty and, and lofty things, existential things, uh, the, the question, who are you, has a bit of a oomph to it, doesn't it? A bit of a weight to it. So let me ask it again. Who are you? Who are you? 
And if you haven't asked yourself that question in a while, uh, leave it to the, the Christmas season uh, to bring that question up, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you'll, you'll attend a function and you'll be asked to identify yourself and you'll be forced and you'll feel this, this pressure to, to make a case where that person should keep on talking to you. Please don't leave me, right? I, I swear I'm interesting. Or maybe, uh, maybe like so many people in Vancouver, maybe you'll spend Christmas uh, bowling alone. Perhaps it's in these moments, moments that are supposed to be filled with, with family and love and, and joy, uh, that the question, who are you, uh, seems less like a test you need to pass and, and more like a judge that condemns. Who are you? Who are you? And one of the impulses we have in our individualistic uh, society is to, when posed with this question, look inward. And, and, and I think Nietzsche, he didn't get many things right, in my opinion, but he got th- this right when he said this. Nietzsche says, We are unknown, we knowers, of ourselves. Of necessity, we remain strangers to ourselves. We understand ourselves not. In ourselves, we are bound to be mistaken, for each of us holds good to all eternity the motto, each is the farthest away from himself. As far as ourselves are concerned, he concludes, we are not knowers. Uh, In his book, uh, Lost in the Cosmos, the last self-help book, Walker Percy, he humorously suggests that an alternative title for the book could have been this. Why is it possible to learn more in 10 minutes about the Crab Nebula in Taurus, which is 6,000 light years away, than you presently know about yourself, even though you've been stuck with yourself all your life? Isn't that true? I think it's true. And I'm going to take for granted this morning that that introspection and inward look, navel-gazing on its own, won't produce for us the kind of answers we need to the question, who are you? And what I want to suggest is that in its place, coming to know who we are is actually best done as we get to know somebody else. And and I think whether you're a a Christian or not, however you would identify this morning, I think you'd agree with this principle. Let me give you an example. If you don't know me, my name is Jake. I'm married to my wife, Maisie. We have three sons. Uh, They're lovely. They're beautiful. I have to say these things. Uh, They're fun and amazing. They're also like crazy right? The three young boys under five. And, and, and I could tell you, over the past five years, my wife and I have got to know parts of ourselves that we did not know existed, right? Like deep anger that we did not know was there before. Uh, resentment, uh, bitterness, greed. Our, our kids, as we get to know them, are exposing all of these things in us. Now, of course, on the flip side, right, great love and, and joy and, and, and laughter are being found as we get to know these kids. The more we get to know our boys, the more Maisie and I, my wife and I, are getting to know about ourselves. And I want us to take this idea and sort of blow it up on, on a grander scale and bring it to Matthew 1. Because in Matthew 1, uh, Matthew is very, 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 very concerned that we know who Jesus is. He's very concerned that we know who Jesus is. If you know the the outline of Matthew, Matthew 1 is know who Jesus is, and Matthew 2 is know where Jesus came from. 
See, Matthew wants to tell us in, in Matthew 1 that Jesus specifically is the Messiah. He's the rescuer of God's people. That, that all of the Old Testament promises and prophecies are a resounding yes in Jesus. And, and he'll hammer that point again and again and again in this chapter. And if we're unfamiliar with the Bible, we'd read the, the genealogy in Matthew 1, the, the first you know, 16 verses of Matthew 1 that Fred's going to preach on in the last Sunday of Advent. We'd read that and be like, well, this is a nice Jewish thing, Right? This, this is cool for those people. Right? I'm peeking in on their sort of ancestry DNA results. But this has nothing to do with me. And, and what I want to suggest this morning is that this has everything to do with you. That the ancestry of Jesus, that where Jesus came from, and indeed who Jesus is, has everything to do with you this morning. And if you're taking notes, uh, really simply, I want to give us three titles of Jesus this morning to help guide our time. And the first title is this. Jesus, Jesus, born of the Spirit and the Virgin. First title, Jesus, born of the Spirit and the Virgin. Second title, Jesus, rescuer from our sins. And third title, Jesus, God with us. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew 1, verse 18. And we're going to read all of verse 18 together. If you don't have a Bible, I think there are some at the back in the corner. You can grab those. If you don't have a Bible at all, take it, keep it. It's our gift to you. Uh, we know that you'll be blessed by it. Matthew 1, 18. It reads like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So maybe you come in this morning and you're like, well, okay, hold on a second, right? I've taken a, a biology class. Is that where they teach this? Biology class? Uh, you, you've had a sex ed course somewhere along the lines, and, and you know how babies are made, right? You're pretty confident in this fact. You, you've, you've heard the song, it takes two, right, to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of sight. Right, you know the song? Is this awkward just for me right now? Okay. Right, you know how this works. And, and so we need to recognize out of the gate that something unusual, uh, perhaps supernatural, is, is happening here. Are you with me, Christ City Kitsilano? This is not how it normally happens. Unless things happen weird here in Kits, like if it's that different, jeez. That's not what's happening here. Okay? Not the normal thing. Mary and Joseph are, are betrothed. And, and betrothal, it's, it's sort of like engagement, but not really. It, it's, they're basically married. Uh, they're basically married. E- even so, in verse 19, uh, when Joseph looks to call this thing off, what, what word will he use? Divorce. Right? They're, they're essentially married. And there's this uh, one-year period where Mary will be separate from Joseph before she goes and, and lives with Joseph. And they start their life together. They sleep together, right? And, and the marriage is sort of, you know, uh, concretized, if we can make that into a word, right? Uh, keeping in mind here that Mary, uh, at this time, is a 13, 14-year-old girl, right? They're, they're, they're betrothed. And Matthew makes it clear, very clear in our text twice, uh, that they did not sleep together. First, and what we just read, before they came together. And then he concludes this this section, that Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And so we begin, or rather we end up where we started, right? How did this happen? How was it that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit? 
by keeping in mind that at the time of this, this writing, it wasn't uncommon in the ancient world to hear a narrative of a god uh, taking the form of a human man, typically, and coming and sleeping uh, with a human woman and producing some sort of demigod offspring. Uh, who here likes Brad Pitt? What? <laughs> this is, a, again, strange place. <laughs> Brad Pitt, right? The movie Troy. Yeah, Kim likes Brad Pitt. Uh, Achilles, right? Uh, do, you, do you know that movie, right? Achilles is the offspring of, of and I got the names here, uh, the immortal Thetis. And, and the dad of Achilles is, is the mortal king uh, Peleus, right? Uh, so this kind of story, this kind of narrative uh, was, was very common in the time of, of the Bible's writing. They were familiar with these stories. But notice. In Matthew and even Luke's account, uh, they are very, 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 very careful uh, to suggest that this is not what happened. Uh, This is not simply a case of the Holy Spirit coming and having sex with Mary. That is not what is happening here. And that's good news because what is happening here is even better. Look at Matthew 1.18 and look at that uh, that first line with me again. And this is amazing. And I was worshiping this week because of this. Matthew 1.18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Literally, now the genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And let me ask you a question, and it's rhetorical. You don't have to shout out. Let me ask you a question. Is there another time you can think of when the Spirit was involved in creating? When the Spirit was involved with Genesis-ing. <laughs> Genesis? Does the creation of the world ring any bells? And so here's the picture Matthew is, is, is beautifully painting for us. Ready? The Holy Spirit made the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, into a human being. Except this time, listen, except this time, the Spirit isn't knitting land masses together. He's knitting limb to limb. He's not creating beasts to roam the Sahara. He's creating a heart to pump blood to a body. This time, he's not establishing the sun and the moon in the sky. He's establishing a wildly complex brain with wildly complex components. Oh, That's good. That's beautiful. Now, do we know the ins and the outs and the detailed schematic of how it came to be that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit? No. No, we don't. And if anybody tells you that they do, run. Right? They don't know either. But what we can and what we should affirm as followers of Jesus this morning is that it was a work of the Holy Spirit to Genesis Jesus. Listen to how one commentator summarizes what we see here. Just as the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters at creation, so here for our salvation, the Spirit overshadowed Mary's womb, that's a Luke word, making God's Son into one of us, with bones and brains and blood, with lungs and lips and lymph nodes, with head and heart and hands. Jesus was born of the Spirit and of the Virgin Mary. And that's why, if you were to go back in your Bibles to Matthew 1.16, uh, you would read uh, this. 
Matthew 1.16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, notice, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. All throughout that first chapter, that first genealogy there, we find this pattern like this. Abraham, the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And, and so on and so on and so on. The father of the father of the father of the father of, right? But here, Matthew breaks that pattern. And it's because Joseph isn't Jesus' biological father. Which leaves us actually with a bit of a, a, a problem. How is it that Jesus is in the line of, of David then? We'll look at verse 21 and 24 and 25 of our text this morning. The angel says to Joseph in a dream, She, that's Mary, will bear a son, and you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, and look at verse 25, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and Joseph called his name Jesus. Now, in naming the child that was in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, Joseph is formally adopting Jesus as his son. Joseph, in formally adopting Jesus as his son, Joseph, son of David, is bringing Jesus into the line of David. Man, this is, this is fun for me. Maybe it's not fun for you. It's fun for me. And the question we should ask is, what does this have to do with any of us? How does this help me answer the question, who am I? How does knowing Jesus, born of the Spirit and of the Virgin, help us understand ourselves this Advent season? And on one hand, one point of application here is, it's not about you. Just stop for a second. Like, worship. Marvel at this. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and the Christmas story has become to you like just some rote occurrence. It just happens. Yeah, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. Heard that before. This is intended, Matthew is writing to elicit in us our worship, our praise, our awe, our wonder. Jesus is fully God, born of the Spirit. Fully man, born of the virgin. In one place that C.S. Lewis writes, he says that this is the grandest of all miracles. In another place, he writes this, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. And every other miracle prepares for this, exhibits this, or results from this. Advent, firstly, and most importantly, is a season of God's glory on full display. See, love and joy and peace and hope and all these Advent uh, things we should feel and desire, these aren't to be manufactured. They're not just to be like, summoned within ourselves, like, okay, just love more and, and hope more and, and, and exhibit more peace, right? And, and, and just be, be more joyful, I guess? No. How do we get to this place? Beholding the God who is glorious and wonderful and beautiful, who came to us, born a man. That's unbelievable. I used to sit up on, on Christmas Eve, and I would be filled with this sense of anticipation, and I would convince myself I could hear uh, reindeers on my roof, right? I, I swear I can hear them, right? And I would be so excited and, and, and so joyful, Right? That sort of anticipation, right, that was, you know, rooted in fiction is intended to be rooted in reality. 
in the person and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We should be excited about this. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that it's because of the very fact of Jesus' incarnation and death on the cross that this is then true. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus, bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, this has everything to do with the question, who am I this morning? Because you and I are people who need to stand in awe at the glory of God. Because if we're created to reflect the glory of God, how can we do that if we do not stand in awe of the glory of God? The wonder of the glory of God. There's also here a helpful reminder that in recognizing Jesus as God become man, we remind ourselves, and this might come as a shocker to you, uh, that we are not. I am not God become man. And Fred is not God become man. And you are not God become human. Jesus, born of the Spirit and the Virgin. Jake, born of John and Lori of Windsor, Ontario. Not, not, not quite as sexy, right? And perhaps you're charging into this Advent season with all the confidence of a divine being, right? You, you omnipotently will, will fix your mom's and your aunt's relationship this Christmas, right? You will do that. You will do that. And you, mom, omnipotently have picked out each outfit for your kids that they will wear, and they will smile for that picture. So help me, they will smile, right? And if it doesn't happen, again, so help me. Maybe you're charging to this Advent season with all the, the pretense of a divine creature. And I want to suggest that perhaps you're so sad during Christmas because you come into it with divine expectations. That the world will simply bend to your will and your vision for the next four weeks. My visit with my family will look like this. My Christmas dinner will look like this. My evenings will be spent like this. My work bonus will be this much. And when those things don't happen, we're crushed. We're, we're, we're devastated. There's, there's incongruity between who we thought we were and what's actually happening in the world. And, and the question is, well, where's the hope in any of this? Advent sounds sad. Here's the second point I want to make. I may be uh, born of John and Lori of Windsor, Ontario, but as my wife generously and graciously reminded me this week, that I am born of the Spirit as well. In Jesus... In a unique way, don't mishear me, in a unique way, the Spirit worked to make him a human being in Mary's womb. But for many of us this morning, long after we exited our mother's womb, the Spirit worked in our lives to make us a new creation. And do you want to know what the primary work of the Holy Spirit is? For you charismatics in here, Right, you want to know what the spiritual gifts are? You want to know what the biggest and greatest spiritual gift is? Creation and, and recreation. That's what he loves to do. In, in John 3, Jesus speaks to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus, because Nicodemus also understands how biology works. Uh, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And he's confused. I, I can't crawl back into my mom's room. I, I'm, I'm too big. Plus, I don't think that would work. And, and Jesus says this. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Advent means coming. Coming. Jesus came into the world at the first advent. And each advent we celebrate since the coming of Jesus is a reminder that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, has come into our lives, has called us his children, has adopted us into his family. And we have in Jesus something much more secure, something much more glorious and familial approval than the happiest Christmas dinner, than the biggest of work bonuses. It's also a reminder that Jesus, by his Spirit, he wants to continue to fill us anew. He wants to, more and more, be be the object and desire of your affections. He wants you to be filled with the fullness of his love. And if you're in Jesus this morning, that's who Jesus says you are. That is true of you, and that is glorious. And if you're here this morning, and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're told that's what you can have in him. But we have to keep on going. We pick up our story in the second half of verse 19, where it says this. Sorry, in verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now even today, and and maybe just barely, but even today we can sort of see where this scandal would be here, right? Mary and Joseph, they haven't been together. And so Joseph is asking the obvious question, who's been with my wife, right? And Joseph, it says, being a just man. And all that means is that Joseph observed the Jewish laws. Joseph was a just, just man uh, resolved uh, to divorce her quietly, right? He, he, he's a compassionate guy as well, too. You have to think, for Mary and her family, they would be brought before a trial where, where Mary would be uh, there on charges of adultery, Right? The Old Testament laws say that Mary should be stoned, but because the Israelites are in Roman occupation and they can't kill each other under Old Testament laws, she would just be uh, an an outcast, a a social pariah. That's the context here. And Joseph considered these things, and in fact the word is much more firm. He he was resolved to do this. He was resolved to to divorce, divorce Mary. And just as he resolves to do this, it says he has an angelic vision. And if an angelic vision is a bridge too far for you, we've just been talking about a pregnant teenager, and so get on board this morning. A pregnant virgin teenager. Notice what the angel says uh, in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And don't miss what Matthew, Matthew is doing here. Jesus literally means uh, Yahweh will save. And so the angel says to Joseph, name him, Yahweh will save, for he will save his people from their sins. Hold on a second. Who, who will save? Uh, Yahweh will save. Wait, wait. Who, who will save? Yahweh will save or, or, or Yahweh? Are you confused a little bit here? 
Maybe this helps. Uh, This name Jesus is just the Greek uh, equivalent to the Hebrew name that gives us uh, the name Joshua. And if you know your Old Testament, your your Bible before Matthew here, uh, you know that Joshua was this great leader of Israel. Uh, He led God's people into the promised land. And if you've read Joshua before, you know that Joshua isn't the hero of that story. Uh, That God did that, that Yahweh did that and joshua is just a a vessel of god's liberation and and salvation in that story joshua joshua had a role to play in god's saving plan but here jesus is the plan jesus is god and as god jesus himself is to be the agent of salvation so in the name of jesus we see two things his destiny, and his identity. Uh, Tim Mackey, he's a Bible teacher in Portland. He said it like this. The meaning of his name speaks to his destiny, but also to his identity. He will save his people, and as God, he will do this. Christ said, Matthew is trying to make it very, very hard for you to leave here this morning thinking that Jesus is just another good teacher. Matthew's trying to make it very hard for you this morning. Matthew is trying to make it very hard for you this morning to leave here thinking that Jesus is a political revolutionary. He's intentionally trying to to make it hard for you this morning. He's trying to make it hard for you this morning to ignore Jesus and the Bible's unified claim that Jesus is the Son of God incarnate who came to deal with our sin. In seeing Jesus as the one who rescues us from our sin we learn who we are in our greatest need. Our sin. We are sinners. And maybe you don't agree with that. Maybe you're like, "Uh uh-uh. That's not my biggest need. Consider with me for a moment uh, the first century context of the Christmas story. Mary is is this, this pregnant teenager Right, born of the Holy, has the Holy Spirit, has, has produced a baby inside of her, right? She hasn't been with Joseph. Joseph is this shamed husband because he hasn't been with her. And, and later on in the story, we'll find that they, they make a trek to Bethlehem. And why, why are they going to Bethlehem? Because nine months pregnant is a good time for travel? No, it's, it's not. Because why? They're going for a census, right? And so why is that census happening? Well, well God's people are under Roman occupation. And in going to Bethlehem, uh, the Romans want to know just exactly how much they can tax these people. Just how exactly they can influence their domination over these people. Do you think Mary has reasons to be angry about things other than her sin? Do you think Mary grew up in sort of this idyllic political world? No. And yet... Matthew, again, makes it very hard for his Jewish readers to misinterpret Jesus as a solution, firstly, to their political or material problems. Matthew's saying this, The true slave master is not the Roman centurion, but your sin. And you might balk at that. Salvation from sin? We need better social security programs. Salvation from sin? We need political upheaval, a complete upsetting of the status quo, the just punishment of the puppeteers who pull the world's strings for their financial gain. Salvation from sin? What are you talking about, Jake? 
The entire narrative of the Bible is clear on this. At the heart of the human, pro- uh, the human problem, as someone has said, is the problem of the human heart, is sin, sin. And that is not a popular thing to say. All evil stems from humanity's rebellion against our creator God. See John in 1 John, he'll summarize why Jesus came like this. You know that Jesus appeared, that he appeared, why? In order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. He says later in verse 8, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. What does the devil do? He furthers, he, he, he seeks the prospering of sin. That's why Jesus' ministry begins, not with handing out leaflets or, or starting a, a uprising, but by calling people to what? Repent. He says in Matthew 3, verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Later, he'll baptize people. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. What were they doing? As they confessed their sins. In Matthew 9, he heals a paralyzed man. Why does he do this? So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus' mission will reach its climax when he goes to the cross and is crucified. And on the cross, Jesus will pour out his blood. And Matthew 26 tells us, this blood was poured out for many. Why? For forgiveness of sins. It is really easy for me, maybe this is true for you too, to look at the problems out there and the evil out there and call it for what it is. It's it's evil. I'm I'm not debating that. But the evil in here, uh, we don't see quite as quickly, do we? If you think Advent is only about Jesus coming to deal with the evil out there, and not firstly and most importantly the evil in here, then you don't know the Jesus of Advent. It is only when as Jesus will tell us later in the Sermon on the Mount, that we recognize that we are the poor in spirit, that we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So, so far, getting to know Jesus has led us to see ourselves as, yes, non-divine, sinful people. But if you're in Christ, there's good news. You're born again. You're saved. Every spiritual blessing is yours. And perhaps this is too binary for you. You're either in or you're out. You don't like that language. You're uncomfortable with that language. I I want us to see one last name, one last title of Jesus. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 22 to 23, uh, they read like this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Now we know the Christmas song. It's one of my favorites. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Right? I, I, I always sing that with a great sense of anticipation and, and, and hope. Because Advent is God's stubborn reminder that things are not the way they should be. Uh, there is coming a day when both the evil in here and the evil out there will be dealt with uh, fully and, and finally. But as we know, as we experience this week, Uh, That day is not today. And as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we look ahead to the day when God will dwell among his people. 
And there are certain chapters in the Bible that I read over and over and over and over again. And Revelation 21 is one of those chapters. In Revelation 21, John gives us this picture of God being with us and us being with God. Listen to what he says, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. It's, it's the fullest picture of Emmanuel. And this is the hope that Advent is intended to excite in us. This is the hope we need to frame all of our unmet expectations, dreams, and desires this Christmas season. See, God with us, Yes, it's hope for the future, but it's also hope for us now. See, Matthew, in, in, in Matthew 1, as we've seen, begins his gospel with Emmanuel, God with us. But Matthew will also end his gospel with Emmanuel, God with us. Look at uh, Matthew 28, verse 20. Jesus says this to his disciples before he leaves. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yes, God with us in the future in fullness, but even now by his spirit, God with us. And that is good and that is hopeful and we should celebrate that component, that aspect of God with us. But, but I want to throw a wrench into the mix this morning just because I can. Hope and comfort isn't the only thing the name Emmanuel is supposed to inspire in us. Look at the context of, of Isaiah 7. Matthew is quoting Isaiah 7.14. And in, in Isaiah 7, Isaiah is speaking to, to King Ahaz. And Israel has gone off the rails. And he's speaking a message of, of judgment to Israel. And, and he says to King Ahaz of, of, of Judah, he says to him, listen, a child will be born to a woman of, of childbearing age. Right? That can be that word that we interpret virgin can be interpreted either way. To a woman of childbearing age, a child will be born. And that will be a sign to you that judgment is coming. And things will look nice at first, right? Your, your immediate enemies will disperse, will scatter. But soon is coming an even worse enemy, Assyria. And Assyria does not play well with others. Uh, this is bad news. I, I, Isaiah is speaking a word of, of judgment against God's people. And that's exactly what happened. For God's people, in the context of Isaiah 7, God with us, was not good news. God with us came to them not in, in hope and in joy immediately, though Isaiah will get there. God with us came to them in, in, in judgment. If we can go back further in the Old Testament. We can look beyond this story. What happens when Adam and Eve are in the, in the garden with, with God and they've sinned? They have to flee from his presence. Uh, earlier in Isaiah, when Isaiah comes before the throne room of, of, of God, what, what does Isaiah say happens to him? He becomes undone, unglued, right? He's, he's disintegrating. Uh, Uzzah, you might not know about Uzzah, but he's a guy in the Bible. When, when Uzzah touched the ark without purifying himself, what happened to Uzzah? He died. These are good Advent reminders, right? We should look at Matthew's usage of Isaiah 7.14 and Emmanuel. And yes, for those of us who are in Christ, we should be deeply encouraged. Why? Because God with us means God for us. And that is good news. And that is our hope this morning. 
God with us means God will not forsake us. God with us means he will keep us until the end of the age. God with us means you will enjoy him and glorify him forever. And that is good news. But for those who reject Jesus as the eternal Son made flesh to save us from our sins, what then? God with us is terrifying. It's interesting to note uh, that the four Sundays of Advent that a, a liturgical church or a liturgical calendar will typically celebrate, if you know this maybe, are, are what? Love, joy, peace, and hope. Do you know what the four Sundays of Advent were in the medieval church? Death, judgment, heaven, hell. Perhaps, this is just a thought, maybe take it to lunch with you, perhaps the domestication of Christmas hasn't just happened at Starbucks or at the big box retailer trying to sell you things. Perhaps in avoiding this message, in avoiding the dual reality of God with us, it's happened in the church as well. This is a thought. Nietzsche, uh, Walker, Percy, uh, they may be right. We might never truly be knowers of ourselves, and I, and I don't think we will until eternity. But Christ City, please hear me on this. Advent forces us to answer the question, who am I? And not a vague and nuanced sense. It forces us to answer this question, who am I, in very stark binary, and inescapable terms. Have you trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins? Then rejoice. Because God with us is God for us. You are in Christ. And Ephesians 1 says, every spiritual blessing is yours, chief among them, salvation. Or, have you rejected his diagnosis that your sin and my sin is the root of the problem. Then tremble. The flip side of the coin is that God with us, is that God is with us in judgment. Let's pray. And Father, we come to you this morning uh, with every a blessing, every right, every privilege that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so we, we, we do come to you recognizing that you are holy and other, but yet in Christ we can approach you with confidence and, and joy and thanksgiving and indeed lay our request before you. And so I thank you for that reality this morning, Lord. And I ask, Father, that in this season that is uh, so easy to be distracted, so easy to be uh, led astray or, or confused or, or, or just amused to death, Lord, that we would not do that. That we would indeed live in light of the story of, of the Bible. That we would remind ourselves that you are coming, yes, to bring us with you to renew the whole earth, all creation, but also to judge the living and the dead. And Father, we think of those in our lives who do not know you. And perhaps they're, not, they're, they're here this morning. And we ask, Father, that you by your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself. That you would do the work, Spirit, that you love to do uh, of recreating in them a new heart. Lord, we beg you. We plead with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.